0: Welcome to our fifth in the series of Spoleto Backstage podcasts for 2019. I'm Adam Parker with the Charleston Post and Courier and your host. This is an all vocal episode. We'll be talking about singing and other things. We've got uh, Joe Miller, conductor of Westminster Choir. We've got the co-directors Patrice Courier and Moshe Leiser. Uh, who've been working on the Zalame production here at Spoleto Festival USA. But first up, we're talking with Rob Taylor, friend of the pod, Celtic enthusiast, and piccolo festival all-star. And I don't mean that in a small way. He teaches at the College of Charleston and leads uh, the concert choir there. He's in charge of the Taylor Festival Choir, a small professional ensemble in Charleston. And he works with the Charleston Symphony Orchestra Chorus. He's a busy guy. Hi, Rob. How's it going? I'm good. You are very, very busy this Piccolo Spileto season, aren't you? Yes, I am. And one of Piccolo Spileto's interesting pieces is, is, is the, these little series that they do off of the Charleston Peninsula. Mm-hmm. They go into Mount Pleasant, in this case, they go into West Ashley. And and John's Island uh, and James Island, I think they also have something. So tell me a little bit about this series and what you're doing.
1: Well, that's actually going to be, I guess, almost almost the last day yeah.
0: of the series. Three o'clock Saturday, June eighth. Yeah, and this is the ch- like a chamber ensemble. Uh, this a is smaller called
1: Shomer. Shomer literally Shomra. means chamber in ga- Irish Gaelic. So it's going to be probably twelve members of the Taylor Festival oh, Choir, rather than all 24.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. You can do a lot with 12 good singers. Mm-hmm. The Taylor Festival Choir is Rob's professional small vocal ensemble, and uh, you perform throughout the year in all Full kinds season. of ways. Yep. The St. John Passion, the Festival Festival's producing this season, is a much larger affair, mm-hmm. and you're preparing a much larger
1: yeah, uh, the choir will be 80 members of the Charleston Symphony Chorus, 40 members of Westminster, so it'll be a choir of 120. Wow. And then the orchestra will probably be, you know, 40 to 50. And what's
0: it like to um, prepare a choir? How do you approach it?
1: Obviously it's a different approach, so uh-huh. what, what
0: are you thinking musically?
1: Wow. Well, when you prepare a choir for someone else, you have to you, you you have two ways you can go about it. One, you can try to get their notes and try to get all of their preferences into the score, or you can just do it the way you feel like you would do it and hope that pleases them. I almost invariably do B, because Joe Flummerfeld taught me to do that. Because I used to mm-hmm. ask Joe, I said, Joe, you never send me any notes for me to prepare this for you. And he said, you just... Do it the way it, you would do it because that's what's in your heart. And anything other than that, you're not going to be effective. And ultimately, I just want your best work to be what you handle. Which is reflected in. in
0: the chorus. They're more musical. Right, right. Yeah, right.
1: So I've been kind of preparing them almost as if I was conducting. Um, it is a difference between a, between a larger ensemble and a small ensemble. And the works are very different. That's true. The St. Yeah. John Passion, there's a lot of chorales, mm-hmm. which are difficult, but they're not virtuosic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Joe Flummerfelt. For
0: our listeners who don't know, Joe Flummerfelt recently passed away. He was one of the original Spoleto Festival anchors, the, the director of choral activities, and conducted the Westminster Choir for years and years. Uh, worked with them at Westminster Choir College and uh, would bring them down to Charleston for each Spoleto Festival, and Joe Miller took over from Joe Flummerfeld uh, several years ago, and Joe Miller now is doing much the same thing. Joe, who recently passed, has been receiving some tributes and honors, Mm -hmm. and he was just here in Charleston a few months ago with with The last,
1: I mean, who could have ever predicted this, but the last concert that he ever conducted was with the Taylor Festival Choir in January at Circular Church, a program we called Music for Royal Occasions, and he and I shared the program, so he conducted half, I conducted half. We spent four days together, and he went back home to Indianapolis. He had moved to Indianapolis to, to be close to his sisters. Just wasn't quite feeling right, and they diagnosed a brain tumor, mm-hmm. and he was gone in five weeks.
0: All right, well, um, you have a bit of a Irish-Scottish background, don't do? you? Yeah. Which makes you a little obsessed with Celtic music, Maybe I think. a
1: little yeah. obsessed, and of course I married an Irish lass who um, who's... My wife's parents immigrated from Ireland in the late 50s. So she was raised in Beaumont, Texas. But if you can imagine a bumper sticker that might say something like, born in Texas, raised Irish, that would have been my wife. (laughs) So she was absolutely raised Irish. And so I'm from Arkansas. So the Scotch-Irish influence is very Pervasive in Arkansas anyway, but then I married an Irish girl. So Celtic music and all things Celtic have been a big part of our marriage and a big part of our professional life and pints of Guinness. I I might, I might be known to consume a Guinness every once in a while. Yeah. With you actually. Uh, (laughs) I see. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, it's like a meal. It's, it's, it's good for you. I, I, I
0: strongly advise it uh, to all of our listeners. So, um, so well, tell, tell me a little. So you're doing basically two things, right? The Taylor Festival Choir is going to sing some music from, from the aisles. Yep. And your wife is going to lead Na Fidlieri, the, right. the, the fiddle group.
1: Well, there are several things going on in the Celtic Art Series. So the two main ensembles are Na Fidlieri and the Taylor Festival Choir. Taylor Festival Choir is doing a concert called Music With Our Friends, and that will be music literally written by people, by composers that we know. Oh. People like Stephen Paulus, Michael McGlynn, James McMillan, or, or composers like Edward Hart or Chelsea Lowe, who is a, a native of Charleston, who is off doing super great things. We're and doing a Edward world is premier. on the faculty of the College the of Charleston. He's the chair of yeah. the music department. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one of the concerts we're doing. Taylor Festival Choir is also doing a concert called Celtic and Classical. Uh, it's soloists from the choir. So the Taylor Festival Choir, for the listeners that don't know, is comprised of some local singers, but also some singers that I fly in. So there's a lot of great soloists, a lot of young opera singers, in that choir, so this concert, Taylor Festival of Choir Soloist, gives them opportunity to show off their soloistic capabilities, which you heard in the B Minor Mass, because right. all of those soloists Brilliant. came out of the choir.
0: All right, which is what Bach did. That's, That's
1: right. right. right yeah. Then Nafed Larry is going to do concerts. One of their concerts is called St. Paddy's in June. Mm-hmm. So basically... The stuff we we do around St. Paddy's Day. Okay. We're doing it in June. Festive. That's right. And then uh, one of the great... Um, Foot stomping. That's right. And one of the great Celtic harpists of the world, um, Kim Robertson, who is really the pioneer of the Celtic harp... I don't want to say rebirth, but um, kind of, you know... But part our, of the
0: resurgence th- yeah.
1: resurgence is the yeah. word I was looking for so the resurgence of the Celtic harp she's largely responsible for and um, she'll be here p- performing with Nothar Larry in two different concerts will
0: she as- uh, descend down from heaven maybe with her harp
1: we were working on that you, okay. we're, we're working on that sort of stagecraft. Mm-hmm. and then for those of you who've been to some local pubs you might know Carol Brown he's one of the great Irish folk singers of the area and he's going to do an entire concert by himself and he's terrific Carol, wow he's awesome
0: well, uh, this sounds all very exciting. Um, clearly you're going to need more than one pint of Guinness, though, to get you through it all.
1: I try to limit myself, but yes, I might need more than one.
0: Excellent. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks again, Rob. Good luck uh, with all of these programs. It looks like uh, you'll be busy, 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 well, it's busy. it's a special
1: time of year, and I just want to urge all the listeners to go, 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 go. Go to concerts. Be live concert goers. Nothing is more special than being at a concert in the flesh, in person.
0: Oh, i got to wipe this bead of sweat from my brow after talking with Rob Taylor. Busy guy. He's got um, three more concerts in the Celtic series coming up, all at Circular Congregational Church on Meeting Street, downtown Charleston. He has a concert in the Remington series as well uh, out in Mount Pleasant. For details, you can go to tmgcharleston.com or piccolospoleto.com. Well, from one Flummerfelder to another Flummerfelder, Joe Miller is uh, choral director of Westminster Choir and works at Westminster Choir College, which is very convenient. That's in New Jersey. He is certainly a disciple of Joe Flummerfeld, uh, who uh, led the Westminster Choir for many, many years and who is a veteran of Spoleto Festival USA and the original director of choral activities for the festival. Miller now has that role, and he is a musical perfectionist
2: for whom choral conducting seems a perfect fit. Bradley Fuller, take it away. Choral performances remain a key part of Spoleto Festival USA, with a diversity of works and concerts reflective of the varied programming of the festival as a whole. This year's choral offerings span shorter pieces and major works, selections from the early 17th century to the 21st and much in between. Here to provide an overview of this year's choral happenings is conductor Joe Miller. Joe, it's great to have you. Thanks, Bradley. A big feature of this year's festival is the June 4th performance of Bach's St. John Passion at the Gilliard Center. Now, this is a substantial work by the composer and one from not so late in his career. He was pretty young when he was working on this.
3: Yeah, you can hear him working out all of his ideas and everyone that knows the St. Matthew Passion, uh, that will be, the, eventually his style will get to that point. But uh, the kind of youthful exuberance of this piece uh, is, is very cool because uh, it matches kind of the, the, the narrative of the John Gospel. So. And the Matthew Gospel is, is older, more mature, more looking back. So it's, um, it's a great contrast to the other major passion.
2: And this work from the very beginning has these moments kind of of tension, uh, I guess you could say passion in several senses of the term, but the suffering in the older sense, but also the love And it. I, I mean, I'm struck by even the very opening and then... What is it the choir comes in with? Yeah.
3: Herr, Herr, Lord, you know, take us on this journey of your passion. Yeah, we start with these cries. And again, this kind of youthful, the, the orchestra is just churning at the beginning of the piece, trying to work it out. You know that it's going to be a really dramatic piece. Um, and, you know, Bach uses the uh, the choir in the piece the same way. Whereas in some of Bach work, like the St. Matthew, there's a lot of, there is a lot of reflection, and here the chorus is in it all the time, focusing on being the crowd and, and kind of changing characters. So it has a very, um, I, I wanted to say exuberance, but it, it, it it's more than exuberance. It, it's just, it's they're they're in the plot, they're dedicated to it all the way through the piece. It's exciting to listen to.
2: There are the choral parts, but then some of the arias too, there's, the biblical text and also some extra biblical text, a lot of components here. Uh, What's the most important thing to get right in a work of this scale?
3: Well, as a conductor, the thing to get right is how the story is paced. It is such a, a, a story and a dramatic story. So it's arriving at the drama at the right time and pacing it. And as you said, there are these beautiful arias and some of them are reflective and some of them move, uh, are, are, are are rather forward-looking. So there's a lot of contrast in, in the arias of the piece. But the biggest thing for me to get right as conductor is how the story is paced. I understand that
2: this work, aside from the music within it itself, when it comes to performances of it and the way it's been received, there has been some controversy over the years with maybe certain anti-Semitism perceived in it. What's your understanding of this situation?
3: It is definitely a, a part of it, and I think it is according to how you look at it, because we directly refer to that this is the Jewish people that are doing this to Jesus Christ, that, that is, and there's lots of references directly to that. Now, uh, and there's been lots of research, you know, done about it, and it's uh, it is is a controversial part of the piece. For me, growing up reading the Gospel of John, I I see the Jewish people in the piece as being. Everyone, I see it, sees it being uh, all humankind that, uh, that are doing this. But it is definitely a direct... In Bach in, in the Passion is directly saying, the Jewish people said this, the Jew, Jewish people did this, they said to crucify him. So there is a lot of direct contact with that text. But that, that is the text that we have in the Gospel of John.
2: You're heading up to choral concerts, which feature a range of selections. What's in your mind when constructing one of these programs... Like those to be given at St. Matthew's Lutheran Church. I see listed Monteverdi, late Renaissance, early Baroque, then also Ted Hearn, who was born in 1982. So, what's your idea going into constructing a program like that?
3: I, I love to bring a huge variety to a concert audience in a, in a choral concert. I think it uh, keeps it interesting, but also when you're dealing with a basically a cappella program, you're also trying to think about how to uh, break that up so it's just not one sound coming all the time. So th- there's that going on in my brain when I'm programming. Um, The other thing is that I want it to be interesting, but I also want things to link together. So this is a thematic program. And the the theme of the program is about finding and defining love. Um, So in the case, we have a piece by Sven David uh, Sandstrom, which is a text from the Song of Solomon about love. And we do this beautiful bluegrass set uh, about love, love of home. And then we, we contrast that with this piece by... Ted Hearn called Consent. And Consent is not about love at all. It is about fear. It is about, it it, it totally is defining what the Me Too movement is right now.
2: So your singers really have to bring their own experiences to bear with that or change mindsets? I mean, is there a non-singing component that goes into this, I suppose, that they have to prepare for as well? And shifting between such different works—it
3: certainly is a, a mindset. But the hardest thing is is changing style. So with with each with each piece of music, I mean, a question that I get asked a lot is, "Well, what is your sound, or what is the sound of the Westminster Choir?" And I just my response is always. The choir sounds like the group is 18 to 24 years old, basically. That's what they sound like. But our job is not to make a sound. It's to serve the music that we're doing. So we're trying to take whatever piece that we're given and we're trying to make the sound of that piece. And so that's what they have to do with each piece that we do because they are coming from such different time periods that we have to we have to change our mindset, sing, change our singing style. Um, and so we're trying to serve the music... Uh, throughout the program. And it's the most difficult.
0: Thanks, Bradley. Thanks, Joe. To see Joe Miller wave his arms frantically in front of an enormous choir and orchestra, you might consider attending the St. John Passion performance, Johann Sebastian Bach, 7.30, June 4th, Gilead Center Auditorium. Be there. B-square. Next up, we've got co-directors Patrice Courier and Moshe Leiser, who worked on this production of Zalame for Spoleto Festival USA, a new production, contemporary production. This pair has worked in opera houses and festivals around the world, and they are determined to push envelopes and make new discoveries, always, always, always. Welcome, Patrice. Welcome, Moshe. Hello.
4: Thank, Thank you through. for
0: having us. Uh, Patrice and Moshe are responsible for this very interesting production of Salome. Running at the Gileard Center in Charleston, the big event at Spoleto Festival, the event that the festival actually produces. Tell me a little bit about being back in Charleston. You've been here nine times? Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Nine times. Is this your ninth production? The ninth, it is. Okay. So... Tell us a little bit about this remarkable Spoleto history. When was the first time you were here?
4: Uh, in, uh, we were we came here the first time in 87, invited by Giancarlo Menotti, mm-hmm. who actually, uh, five years before, saw our first uh, opera production that we did together in Lyon in France. Well, and that's, and that's how it. it started, and that we have been lucky to come back. And that was Zalame, right? In 1987? It
0: was. So, uh, and that production was very, very different. It was Germany, World War II, fascism. I think it, it was a kind of allegory. What was your approach then compared to your approach now and what was, how did your thinking change for this new production?
5: Well, the, the, the production at the time was based on what the page is saying in the beginning of the opera. It says, Etwas something terrible uh, will happen. So, we directors, we must think about what is he talking about? Is he only talking about Salome's? And you had a, an opera where you have hysterical Jews, where you have uh, people uh, hesitating between protecting St. John or not. And, and finally, uh, uh, a Salome that finally made the choice of Barbary. So it was a it was a an allegory on what Germany was um, uh, going through before the war. It was a warning about fascism in a certain I way. See. It was a warning. So now we are thirty years later, if not more. Uh,
0: Probably still relevant. Absolutely. And
5: unfortunately, <laughs> extremely relevant. I just uh, had the news today that the. Uh, National Front in France has won the elections in the European Parliament. So uh, yes, the world has changed. The violence has changed. The sense of uh, what is wrong and what is right has changed. So we have change because we have aged also mm-hmm. or in general what we're trying to do now is to try to find without a compromise what a piece tells us about and what is important in the piece to stress out because after all that is what staging is. Yeah.
0: And a lot of your focus this time around is about the relationships between these characters. I mean you're delving more in, into the minds of, uh, of these individual characters. Were you thinking about that?
5: Well, uh, we did the same thing uh, 30 years ago, maybe with less skill because we were young and we just have a little bit more experience now. But it was still about that uh, at the time. Uh, What we're focusing now... We actually ask us the question if uh, the character of Yokana and St. John the Baptist in this Oscar Wilde play, is he if he's that holy that people might think he is uh, by his name. And when you read the text, he's saying he's cursing women all the time, accusing them of being the source of all evil of all in the evil. world, and appear to us much more like a religious fanatic. Than uh, the voices, the voice of of uh, reason or the voice uh, of God. Uh, on the other side, uh, yes, the family relations we did not stress that enough in our production thirty years ago uh, family relations are very important I think that Salome being under the sexual harassment of her stepfather mm-hmm. her mother being obliged to basically shut up because her husband the middle yeah. is very powerful and you cannot you can't say a word uh, though she and-
0: tries to defend her and hopes that Salome is defending the mother at the yes, scene. Yes,
5: exactly. But but uh, it's a little bit hard uh, for her to do that. And also because uh, in that production, we show very clearly the collusion in uh, Wilde's play between the political authority and the religious uh, authority because finally in our production, by the end, they are the murderers. Right.
0: So a lot of the work that you do is very interpretive. You take this tip of the iceberg and then the rest of the iceberg, underwater, all of your stuff that you're bringing to it, is uh, often pretty ambitious. In, in this current production of Salome, we won't give anything away, but uh, you do take a number of liberties with the traditional historical approach to the story. Is that typical of your work? Do you often try to find some new, new angle or new setting or to explore? through which the story can be told?
4: Yes, uh, yes, probably, uh, because it's just what is interesting is to help the audience also to listen to a piece in a different way than they have. Yes. uh, Because with great uh, works of theater, uh, opera, theater, you have different possibilities to look at them and you always discover i mean there are there are scores with which that we have done so many times and on which we have worked so much and there is always something different and it it, it just brings new blood it's it's never out of provocation or to be original really never it's just to help look at it and hear differently that's what interests us. I mean, first of all, it's for even for us to try a new way and, uh, to and gain ho- more and, understanding. Uh,
5: yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Strauss wrote that in 1905 on a play by by Oscar Wilde. I think that no Oscar, Oscar Wilde. No, Charles Trotz were written a crowd pleaser in order to give to the audience a wonderful evening where they can, you know, sit back, relax and listen to wonderful music and beautiful images. I think that both of them were artists that that had something to say. Uh, about the world. Uh, the music of Strauss is about dissonances, stridences, uh, uh, contrast, beautiful uh, beautiful harmonies. Soaring I mean, there is so beautiful. much beauty, but as all great composer, he realized that uh, beauty without the ugliness doesn't make sense, that it's the combination of both of them that eventually makes a piece of art. And Oscar Wilde is the same. I mean, his play is totally immoral. You know, it, it, is, <laughs> it is the most immoral play that's why I. It was I, scandalous when it came out, and the opera well, too was censored. It, oh, yeah, it was censored, censored, and, it was censored so. everywhere. It was censored in London, in Austria, in New York. It was censored right. when it opened. How it dare you open. take
0: this religious theme and tell us this story? of yeah, exactly. female sexuality. Exactly. Right. So
5: people who come to see Salome and expect to see. Uh, a documentary about the New Testament, of of course, no, and also if they expect uh, if they expect to see uh, all the cliches about uh, a cistern and the prophet in chains and 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 whatever, we've seen that it it had its time, but we're not living in that time anymore. So there you go, things have changed. Uh, things this, have. This been sort changed.
0: of leads me to my last question for you, which is the the value of the festival setting. I mean, you. Obviously, you like to come to Spoleto Festival. You've done it nine times. And you're able to do particularly creative work here because you're given license to do that because the festival itself has a mandate to push the envelope. That's what festivals do, after all. And that's a little unlike a traditional opera house. So tell me a little bit more about your experiences here at Spoleto Festival and perhaps other festivals, and whether or not you approach your work differently depending on the venue and the setting.
4: I know, never. I know, never, because it would be to have um, a judgment on the public. Yes, And I think we bring what we believe in and what we want to say through a piece, because you never know what the public will be. And, uh, and to imagine we come to Charleston, to, uh, to the States, or to Australia, and that we would do it differently, that's wrong. I mean, the only difference is when you have more money to spend, but that would be the only thing. But uh, no, really, not at all. But I it think would be the same. We would do the same thing in in No matter. You matter know, in, uh, well, do in you Austria. feel
0: differently when you're at a festival like Spoleto versus traditional uh, Traditional opera House somewhere?
5: No, but what's interesting is, and what's important, as you mentioned, in, in a festival like Spoleto, is that the freedom of creation is guaranteed. Because if not, we would not have come. And there have been in other opera houses where that freedom is not guaranteed, and that we said goodbye. Because it is impossible for us, as responsible uh, directors, to work to please anyone. Uh, it's impossible. Uh, if you hire directors, it's because you want to see their vision. That's why you hire directors. You have to uh, trust them. Yeah, and and if, 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 <laughs> if uh, in in the middle of the way you, the vision doesn't suit you or doesn't suit a sponsor or doesn't suit a reviewer or I don't know what, for us that's so irrelevant. So irrelevant. So I think it's very important uh, that festival like Spoleto exist because they are heaven of, of artistic freedom. There aren't that many of them, especially in opera uh, in this country and in other countries. Uh, some some general manager uh, could could be scared and say, no, that's not good, or the board will not like, I don't know. Risk you know, averse. Pressures. Yeah, people are risk averse. And on averse. the contrary here, we had constant support from Nigel Redden, mm-hmm. and I think it's very important, very important for everyone who runs an arts a festival or an opera company to be uh, rocks, rocks of resistance against the shows that are average, that are just crowd-pleasing, and that are closer to fine entertainment uh, for rich people. And against uh, the pressures that,
0: of special interests.
5: Yes, and special interests. So so I, I think that all the conversation we can have today about what's happening in the world, the microcosm in opera reflects the same thing. Sure. Opera is not, you know, we, we're not creating void. We, we are creating and it's our responsibility as artists to reflect uh, what the world uh, has become.
0: Well, those are interesting guys. Thoughtful, interesting guys. And listeners, you have one more chance to see their opera, Zalame, 7.30, Wednesday, June 5th, at the Gileard Center. Well, it's time once again for your favorite part of the podcast, our suggestions for what you might consider seeing in these waning days of Spleto Festival USA. Mark Turner and Ethan Iverson, two fine jazz musicians, take the stage of the College of Charleston Simmons Center Recital Hall at seven o'clock on Wednesday, June 5th. Or consider seeing one of the chamber music concerts at either 11 a.m. or 1 p.m. at the Dock Street Theater. You could literally throw a dart and probably not go wrong. Uh, Or finally, what about Caracalla Dance Company, all the way from Lebanon, performing 1001 nights at the Gileard Center at 7.30 on Friday, June 7th. Spoleto Backstage is a production of South Carolina Public Radio. The producer is A.T. Shire. Project director is Sherry Hutchinson. Special thanks to Jesse Bagley and Jenny Ouellette of Spoleto Festival USA. The production is made possible by the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. Original music is by Nick Jenkins. Special thanks to the College of Charleston for hosting interviews and to the Gileard Center for accommodating our studio. If you want to hear us every time the podcast comes out, subscribe to NPR One, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or visit postandcourier.com or Carolinapublicradio.org, or go to wherever you get your podcasts. And please, please don't forget to rate and review us. For Spoleto Backstage, I'm Adam Parker of the Post and Courier.